Sister Joy, we're glad to see you back. Amen. Sorry for not saying it earlier. It's limited mental faculties, but the Lord's able to use an ass. He can use me. But we're glad that you're back and that you came back to be here at this service. Obviously, you had a safe trip, and we're glad, and we hope you had a pleasant and joyful trip. Right. Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us now in a few minutes. By your grace and by your spirit, to understand the things revealed in Scripture about the great gift and promise of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Have mercy upon us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. This morning we saw that we worship one God and that God is in three persons. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And so when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we are speaking of God Himself. And yet the Lord has chosen to reveal Himself under different names and titles and operations, and the Holy Spirit is that operation by which He chooses to come and dwell with His people. Credible blessing. We saw in the Old Testament that that spirit could move upon the face of the waters. And there is an earth that came out of a formless void. That the spirit of God could come upon men like Saul who were timid and not prepared to be the leaders for their people. And they'd become leaders very quickly without going to West Point. Gideon, Jephthah, Saul. And remember Samuel's warning to Saul? I'm going to pray for you. And the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And you're going to prophesy. And God's going to change you into another man. Right. Remember that? Amen. I hope that gives us all hope and provokes us. That no matter what we face in our lives, if we feel we can't do it, and it's too much for us, and we're fearful, the Lord likes that kind of a man. Because he'll use them. When a man thinks that he's sufficient in and of himself, the Lord will let him find out that he's not. But if you'll be insufficient to begin with, the Lord will make you sufficient by his Spirit. We saw that. We saw that God gave the Holy Spirit to David from that day forward, from when Samuel poured that oil on his head. Our text from this morning was Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Then the angel answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord. To Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And the man who faced the difficult task of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and the temple had offered to him and promised to him the seven spirits of the living God that would accompany even his plummet, that in the building of that place the Lord would be with him. And who shall despise the day of small things? We can rejoice when we see that the Spirit of God is with us in a matter, no matter how small it appears to the flesh. Now, I told you this morning, and I want you to all remember, there's one great dividing time event in history, and we are dispensationalists. We just got a whole lot fewer dispensations than those who claim that title today. We see three. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. There's a dispensation. They did not have the law of God. This is Romans chapter 5. 
Then there's the dispensation of the Old Testament from Moses to John the Baptist. And from that time, it's Baptist. From that time, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. That's the third dispensation. But let's come to the ministry of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. And he said in verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. John came with a ministry of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and there cometh one after me who is preferred before me. Repent and prepare the way of the Lord. He said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's the promise. I want to look at a few of the promises of the Holy Spirit. This is John. Let's also look at John chapter 1. John the Baptist prophesying immediately upon the beginning of his ministry that the Lord Jesus Christ would follow him. And while Jesus' disciples did baptize with water, Jesus did not baptize at all with water. Jesus would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And the baptism of fire are not the cloven tongues of fire that arrived in the day of Pentecost. The baptism of fire arrived 40 years later when he burned up their city. Amen. John chapter 1 and verse 33. I and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Amen. John the Baptist said, There's a man coming. After me, the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been told by the man that, by the God that commissioned me to preach and to baptize that the one coming is going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. No one else is involved in that baptism but the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave him the great spoils of his victory and he poured it out on his churches. Now let's turn to John 14. John 14. God dwells by His Spirit with individuals. You. Me. Individuals. It's beyond comprehension, almost. God comes and dwells with men, and He dwells with them by His Spirit. Inside you. Your body is nothing but a shell that includes your soul and spirit, but it also includes the spirit of the living God when you are born again. And if you do not have that spirit at all, you're none of his. Because everyone that's a child of God has that spirit within him, operating to various degrees, as as we'll see, hopefully tonight and probably next Sunday. I'm not going to be long tonight. I just want you to follow with me. In John chapter 14, Jesus Christ is speaking. And he says, beginning at verse 16, Well, let's get verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. If we love Jesus Christ, we're going to keep his commandments. And I will pray the Father. Jesus is going to pray for you. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Would you 
would you have enjoyed being the woman of Samaria and meeting Jesus at the well? Yes. Mm-hmm. Would you have enjoyed having him come and stay in that city for two days? Amen. Would it have been precious to have been Mary, Martha, Amen. the others that were his friends right. on earth, his apostles that got to eat and drink with him? He was a great comfort to have around, wasn't he? He could feed the sick, raise the dead, Peter's mother-in-law. He could heal men's sons who the the disciples themselves could not cast devils out of. To have been in the personal presence of Jesus Christ and have him as your friend. What does John describe himself as? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Are those precious words? Is the concept precious to you? Do you crave such a relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ? Do you understand the words that I just read to you? In the 16th verse of the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter. Who was the first comforter? Jesus Himself. Who was another comforter? The Holy Ghost. And He, that He may abide with you for three and a half years? Forever. Forever. A comforter, the presence of God, walking and talking with God, is the gift of the Holy Ghost. You say, I haven't known it yet. You've cut the relationship off, not God. And you can have it by His grace if you'll repent and seek it. It'll blossom into life. And you'll know that you are walking with God from the inside out. Even the Spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. Now he was dwelling with them. In the person of Jesus Christ, he's called the Spirit of Christ. And shall be in you. Future tense. The full-blown gift of the comforting ministry of the Spirit of God was not yet. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. The disciples could go about healing, raising the dead, performing all sorts of miracles now. But it was a special ministration of the Spirit upon them. But the one that would last forever, in which he would be inside them in his fullest sense. Not yet. Not yet. But it's coming. These are the prom- this is the promise of the Spirit. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Is the proximity of obedience important to the Spirit? If you're going to have the Spirit of God in you, obedience is the key. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now this is why I, I spent time this morning going to Deuteronomy 6. Do you believe there's one God? Amen. Now, if the Spirit of God is dwelling within you, who else do you have dwelling within you? Father, Son. Amen. Is, is that beautiful? Amen. Is that what it says? Do we believe that right there? Amen. We believe that absolutely. Right there, that verse. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him, Jesus speaking of himself and his Father, and make our abode with him. 
We will live with him. How many is him? One. This is the word of the Lord to you tonight. And everyone hear me individually. To you. Is there a man or is there a woman in here tonight that wants the holy God to dwell, live, abide, stay with you forever? Amen. Is Amen. Living or dying? Right. You're with him. Amen. We'll walk right into heaven with the Lord. In us, dwelling with us. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Do not get them so divided in your mind that you've got God far away watching us from a distance. If you know what pagan song I just referred to, and the Holy Spirit, His force at hand, He, the Comforter, will be with us. Amen. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God with you, who can be afraid? Amen. God with you, as we did we sing, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee like a river glorious, yep. is God's perfect peace, Amen. the presence of God with us. The point we want right now is a description of the Holy Ghost coming, but most of all, it was promised. At this point, it did not yet exist. The gift given. The Spirit, of course, existed. He's the eternal God, but Jesus had not yet given him. Chapter 15. Verse 26, but when the Comforter is come, future tense, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. That proceeding from the Father. Don't you dare read some creed where it says that the Holy Ghost is eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. This is the, this is the verse. Right. But this verse says that the Holy Spirit is going to come from the Father to the Son, and the Son's going to give him to the church. Right. Because Jesus is the head of all things Amen. for the church. You'll see that and just hold on. But don't let those creeds, where they like to speculate in the divine transactions of the Trinity, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. This is not an eternal procession. This is a one-time procession. The Spirit comes from God the Father to Jesus Christ, and you'll see. And the Jesus Christ pours him out upon the church. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Let's go to chapter 16. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Now, for those, of, for those of you who were thinking, yes, it would be wonderful to have been Mary or Martha or John. It is expedient for you that I go away. Right. Do you know what expedient means? It's better Amen. that I go away. How could it be better to have Jesus leave us? For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. 
And how long will He stay? Forever. And will He just abide with us? No, He'll be in us. Is that better? That's better. But you say, that leaves Jesus out of the picture. Oh, no. It's the Spirit of Christ. He is the Spirit of Christ. It doesn't leave Jesus out of the picture at all. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is in us. Words are what God has chosen, but words are worthless. The Holy Spirit will have to take the words and apply them in your heart in his own language. I don't know how to just, I can just read these, and these promises are too great. They're too great. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I wonder how much of the Spirit of God had proceeded from the Father at the creation. They make it sound like recharging a battery or something. I don't like it. Amen. He is God. Right. He's not a proceeding thing or de- deity or anything else. Those disc- That's why I quit so quickly on the Trinity. Do you know why? Because it's a mystery. Right. Jim doesn't like the num- the the numbering of the the people the uh, the persons in the Godhead either. Because the Bible doesn't number them that way. It doesn't try to slate one or two or three. It doesn't try to exalt one over three or one over two or two over three. It's not that way in the Bible. And yet the creeds love to do that. I don't blame them. Acts chapter 1. Jesus, being verse 4, I'm sorry, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father. Which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. The promise of the Father. God the Father had promised that he would pour out the Holy Ghost. Jesus had promised it. He said, you've heard the promise from me. It's going to happen not many days hence. How many days later did it happen? Ten. Because this was the 40th day Jesus had been alive after his resurrection, and it happened in the day of Pentecost, which was the 50th day after Passover, just a few days later. Verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. By the way, for your instruction, I will be taking up the Lord willing, a study of the book of Acts, because the book of Acts describes for us a true New Testament church. And if you want to be reading ahead, to be familiar with the material, read the book of Acts. We will see the Holy Ghost coming on that church in the second chapter, and from that church, ministers and individuals going out and spreading the gospel worldwide under the power of the Holy Ghost and living holy lives in the way that we want to. Rather than depend on the world to describe what a good church is or what our upbringing describes to our memories what a good church is, let us see from the book of Acts what a good church is. That's why we'll look at it. But now come over to Acts chapter 2. We've had the promises made. And I haven't looked at all the references, but let's come to Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost has arrived. The sound as of a rushing mighty wind filled the house where the 120 were assembled on the day of Pentecost. 
and cloven tongues as of fire appeared on their heads. Because he is, a, he is described as a fire. He is a candlestick. Remember? Right. Remember? Zechariah chapter 4, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. The seven spirits of God is a seven-bold candlestick, a seven-lamped candlestick, or seven candlesticks. You say, doesn't it say that the seven candlesticks are the seven churches? Only because the Spirit happened to be in them. If you'll go compare 3, 1, and the other, then chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, you'll find out that the seven candlesticks are the seven spirits of God. But those seven candlesticks were within seven churches. And remember the warning was, repent, or I will remove that candlestick. Now the church would still be there. The candlestick would be gone. It just wouldn't be much of a church. Not as far as pleasing the Lord. Because the presence of the Spirit is everything. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of Jesus Christ our Lord. But in Acts chapter 2, the cloven tongues of fire appeared on their heads. They begin speaking in other tongues. And there are dwelling at Jerusalem, following the Passover, for this great feast of Pentecost, many men from other nations. And the disciples are given the gift of tongues and are speaking in foreign languages that they never learned, never heard. And they're speaking them fluently. There's 15 language groups mentioned in Acts chapter 2 back on the previous page, if your Bible looks like mine. And they're all saying, how in the world are these Galileans speaking our languages? And Peter stood up, the same man who couldn't handle a maid at a fire a few days earlier. What made the difference? I'll tell you what made the difference. The Holy Ghost. Samuel told Saul, you'll be a different man. Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you, Peter, and I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. Stay, stay, wait in Jerusalem, and you'll be endued with power from on high. Peter jumps up and says, this is not what you think. There's no one drunk here. This is what God promised in the book of Joel, and he starts opening up the scriptures like he had never opened up the scriptures. I'll show you in Acts chapter 1, the apostles are quite quite confused, even in Acts chapter 1, about the kingdom of God. But by Acts chapter 2, Peter's not confused. He's opening up the book of Joel. This is that, spoken by the prophet Joel. And he explains it for us. But brethren, we've got to get to verse 33. He's concluding his sermon. He's raised some prophecies from the Psalms by David about that God would not leave his soul in hell, neither let his flesh see corruption. And, da- and Peter proves that that can't be David because he, he said, men and brethren, we know that David's bones are with us to this day. It has to be referring to the Christ, the Messiah. And David was speaking in prophecy. Therefore, in verse 33, now let's get verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. All of us, that are obviously under the tremendous power of God himself, that are speaking to you in these foreign languages, we are witnesses that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and brethren, I get goosebumps on every inch of my body when I read this verse, and I have for years. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Because Jesus Christ died the death he did, 
and he was resurrected from the grave, and he was sat down at God's right hand, God gave him the great gift that he had promised for his believers, for his brethren, for us, the sons and daughters of God. It was the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he gave it to Jesus Christ as the spoils of his great victory. And then Jesus Christ gave it to us. And when he poured it out, men like Peter could jump up and take control of a situation where it was noised abroad and the whole city was come together. And he would jump up and explain it perfect with perfect accuracy and with great boldness. You want to read this sermon? It is bold. It is not the man who couldn't handle a maid at the fire. He's a different man. Why? Because of the gift of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted... You may have killed him with wicked hands. Go read this sermon. He's facing the almost the city of Jerusalem, and he tells them that with wicked hands you crucified the Lord of glory. But God raised him from the dead. And he's exalted at his right hand, and he's poured out this, and it's the gift of the Holy Ghost. Brethren, I'm going to chase a rabbit, and then we're going to blow its head off with a 12-gauge. One minute. The man that ordained me, and that we separated from over the doctrine of baptismal church membership, erred greatly on this chapter. The gift of the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost to that man and to that church and to those churches that hold that same position, it was the Holy Ghost giving the gift of church membership. It was not Jesus Christ giving the gift of the Holy Ghost. The difference is profound. Amen. When we read the words, the gift of the Holy Ghost, the object of the preposition, the Holy Ghost, is either the giver of the gift or he is the gift himself. And brethren, you should know plainly from reading the word of God and seeing these these words right here in 2.33 that the Holy Ghost is the gift himself given by God the Father, promised to Jesus the Son, and Jesus the Son pouring it out on the church, his church. Boom. Let's go on. We believe that the gift of the Holy Ghost is God giving His Spirit to His church and to all believers. Let me show you that it's to all of us. He says in verse 39, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. We've got to get verse, we've got to get Acts 2.38. Verse 37. Now, did you get pricked when you read the words, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted? That pricks me in my heart. I want to serve that exalted king. Now when they heard this in verse 37, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. We're still cut out. And to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, that includes us. The gift of the Holy Ghost is promised to us upon repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Jesus Christ redeemed us from our sins. We get baptized in his name in a picture of that redemption from sin. When we repent and believe the gospel about Jesus Christ, we are given the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus Christ coming to dwell with us and in us forever. 
doesn't say anything about these 3,000 speaking in tongues, does it? Were they just baptized with the Holy Ghost? They got the overflow from the apostles. Because Peter said, if you'll be repent and be baptized, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We just got it. You can get it. But they didn't do the signs and the wonders because they got the Holy Spirit in a very similar way to what we get. And that is the comforting ministry of His presence without the supernatural signs and wonders. The apostles needed those supernatural signs and wonders for very obvious reasons. Right. To confirm their word that Jesus of Nazareth indeed rose from the dead. And we were witnesses of that fact. We ate and drank with Him for 40 days. Right. If, that, if a man told you that and he healed a dead relative raised him from the dead, you'd believe the message. That's why the apostles had such great power. I mean, it says in verse 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the 3,000, by the apostles. I'm thankful for verse 39. It includes me. Now, what we're looking at right now are the conditions for receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, here it was repentant and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But let me go back and read to you a verse from this morning in John chapter 7. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. When we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords, the exalted Savior who gave himself a ransom for our sins, who satisfied the justice of God and has redeemed us, to an eternal home in heaven, in the presence of God, in perfect righteousness. When we hear that message, we believe it. When we we repent of our sins, and we humble ourselves enough to acknowledge that He is King, and we want to be a citizen of His kingdom by being baptized in water in a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us, and in the name of Jesus Christ, He is all in all, then He gives us the gift of His presence forever. Right. You say, but isn't a man born again before he believes and repents and gets baptized? Absolutely. And does that regeneration include the new man that includes the Spirit of God? Absolutely. But as far as the personal presence, comforting, granting peace, bearing fruit, strengthening, guiding, opening your mind to understand and hear the gospel and to fully participate in the joy and presence of God comes upon obedience. God gives you His Spirit in the new man and gives you a new man, which is able to learn, Mm -hmm. which is able to lead you. But as far as God dwelling with you and you walking with God, that is a progressive springing up of the Holy Ghost into a fuller relationship. It doesn't. When you're born again, you have a new man within you. You have a new man, you have an old man. And you're at war. And you're like Cornelius. Cornelius had the new man, the old man. And the Lord had to prove to Peter that he should be baptized. So guess what he did in the case of Cornelius? Gave him the Holy Ghost first. Then he was baptized. You know what Peter did as soon as he saw the Holy Ghost fall upon Cornelius and Cornelius and his household began speaking in tongues? He goes, who can forbid that these men ought to be baptized? And it says he commanded them in the name of the Lord to be baptized. Because he realized, and he explains it in chapters 11 and 15, he realized very quickly that all of a sudden God was treating them the very same way he had treated the apostles. They needed to be baptized. Because baptism is the great act of obedience by which we show 
We want to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom. When we read in the Bible that the law and the prophets were until John, but since that time the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it, what did John do? He baptized. That made the difference. When a man pressed into the kingdom of God, he came to John the Baptist and repented of all of his sins and was baptized. If he was a soldier, he'd say, John, what should I do? And John had something for the soldiers, didn't he? If he was a publican, the publicans would say, what should we do? John would tell them what they ought to do to repent. And then you receive, after Pentecost, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that gift of the Holy Ghost is his presence and the fullness that God comes and dwells with a person who is obeying. Let's look at a let's look at a few verses along this line. Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Is there when a person is born again by the by the grace of God, he has within him a new man. Does the new man know righteousness perfectly? Amen. The new man. Yes. Yes. Yes, because in regeneration God writes in our hearts His commandments, and we know them. We're taught of God. But that needs to be under the influence of gospel preaching so that it's brought out of the new man to our understanding. Now, I'm not going to go in and try to divide between soul and spirit because I read about one being that's able to do that, and it's the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12. But the preaching of the gospel brings out the new man that's already in there to our understanding, to where we obey because we're told what to do, to our understanding. Mm-hmm. But we find within our hearts an, an agreement with it. Yes. We want to do it. Why were they pricked in their hearts? Right. You know, I can read over just a few chapters where a very similar sermon is preached and it said it cut them to their hearts. Right. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. And they stoned Stephen. Right. In the same way, while we have the Spirit of God in us with a new man, It is not brought to our full appreciation, understanding of the relationship that we have with God until we obey. And the further we obey, the fuller the relationship. When we sin, the relationship is contracted because we quench and grieve that spirit. The the more we obey, the more that spirit blossoms in our life and the strength of that spirit comes forth in fruit-bearing. Acts chapter 5 and verse 32 Peter's telling the council of the Jews that we ought to obey God rather than men. And he said, and we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Now, there's two ways we can look at that. First of all, we can look at what he was saying about those men he was just talking to. Peter was bold. He was telling those men that he was talking to that they didn't have the Holy Ghost. And believe me, they could read the Old Testament and know how special the Holy Spirit was when he came upon a man. But the point I want you to get is that the Holy Ghost, whom God, whom, it's not a thing, it's not a force, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Now, if we take that in every sense of the Spirit of God, then we're going to believe in obedience, regenerationism. We're going to believe that you've got to obey in order to be regenerated. But there's different operations and ministrations of the Spirit of God. And this one that God gives to them, 
that obey him is a ministry of the Spirit of God whereby he witnesses to us. He witnesses to us. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 13, Paul writes, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Amen. 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 These are are farther removed. These are Gentiles. And they're farther removed from the day of Pentecost. But notice the order. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after you were believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. You are given authentication that you are a child of God by the presence of God within you telling you that you are. Which is the earnest of our inheritance. If a man's going to show a child the earnest of the inheritance that's coming, or show him the inheritance that's coming, he gives him an earnest. We do it when we buy a house. We put down an earnest deposit. It's a blessing of things to come. It's an indication that the future's guaranteed. And the Holy Ghost is the guarantee because what is heaven, brethren? What do you want to go to heaven for? To see some dead relative to walk streets of gold and chip up a little bit for your pocket change? Or do you want to go to heaven to be with God? To be in the presence of God forever and ever is why we want to go to heaven. To be with God. But notice what He gives us. His presence in this world. It's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession that is your body, till he gets you body, soul, and spirit in heaven. And until he does that, it's our down payment. It's our security deposit. It's the earnest. It's the proof that the other is coming. And notice what it followed. Believing the gospel. This is not regeneration. This is a seal of authentication that a child of God receives as they obey. If we don't understand it this way, we're in, we need to jump to the, to the ranks of the Arminians and believe in decisional regeneration. And believe in order to get the Holy Spirit in His ministry of regeneration and sealing. And we don't. We see a difference there. A great difference. One precedes our believing, and our believing is the result of it. And the other, His gift of His comforting ministry and a seal upon our sonship follows our obedience Brethren, do you know about the Holy Spirit? Look at Acts chapter 19. Let me show you 12 men that the Apostle Paul ran into. Acts chapter 19, verse 1, It came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. We don't want to be in that category. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? Now why would he bring up baptism right off the bat? Because baptism was the condition for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. As soon as they say, We haven't even heard whether there be a Holy Ghost, Paul said, Well then, you're claiming to be disciples. What then were you baptized unto? 
And they said unto John's baptism. They didn't say we were baptized by John. They said we were baptized into John's baptism. And so Paul explains what John's baptism was all about. Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. These poor men have been baptized unto John's baptism instead of the man that John was pointing out. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. We don't want to be in that category of not knowing anything about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is God's presence. It's the Spirit of Christ. It's Christ among us. It's Christ in us. What is his ministry? How do you know that the Spirit of God is in you? You'll have one theme above all others. It sounds like a song that we sing. One there is above all others, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. Galatians tells us, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We're crying, Abba, Father. That that regeneration doesn't get us that far until God blesses us with that further blessing of crying out unto God and calling Him our Father in confidence and assurance that He is our Father. Romans chapter 8 gives us the very same thing, that God the Holy Spirit within us causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, it's the proof that we are the sons and daughters of God. It's His seal. But I want to show you His ministry before we close tonight. Now, if you were list paying attention, we were over there in John 14, 15, and 16. In some places we read, in some places we didn't read, it said of the Spirit, He will not testify of Himself. Amen. He will testify of Me. Right. He shall speak of Me. And He's going to bring all things to your remembrance that I have taught you. Now, that was apostolic, and I'll show, we'll see that fulfilled in the book of Acts. We still have to study a whole lot. He doesn't bring everything to my recollection. I have to study, but the apostles didn't. Peter could stand up and just start explaining prophecy after prophecy. David, Joel, Amos, I mean, just... He will not testify of himself. He'll testify of me. I'm in 1 John chapter 5. Verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith. Do you have this faith tonight that overcomes the world? Do you know what that faith focuses on that overcomes the world? Verse 5, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? That Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. That man that by faith believes that can overcome the world. Nothing the world has to say, nothing that the world can do, can deter or discourage or ruin a man. He can overcome them all by believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Is the gospel simple? How do you overcome the world? It doesn't say memorize the New Testament. It says believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The victory. We have the victory. Amen. We can overcome the world by believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Now follow with me. That is the message of the entire Bible. Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Right. And as the Son of God, He is exalted at the right hand of God. This is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Jesus came by water, past tense. How did Jesus come by water? Remember what point has just been mentioned in that fifth verse, that Jesus is the Son of God. How did he come by water to be known as the Son of God? Turn, turn to John chapter 1, or listen to me. At baptism, by water, did God manifest him to be the Son of God at his baptism? Amen. Listen. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come, baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, and bear record, that this is the Son of God. Amen. John was an extreme character. But John said, this is not a planned thing between Jesus and me. I didn't know him except for this fact, that the God that sent me to baptize with water told me that there's one coming after me who's before me. And he told me that when you see the Spirit descending on him and staying there, that he's the one that baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Right. And John said... I saw, I saw that Holy Ghost come and stay on him, and I bear record that this is the Son of God. Amen. Jesus came by water. That declared him to be the Son of God by his baptism of John the Baptist, and what John the Baptist, the messenger from God himself, the greatest of the prophets, said about him. And bear record, Jesus is the Son of God. And if you believe that, you've got a victory that overcomes the world. Amen. The world doesn't admit... What did Dave Taylor tell us then about what he saw? No record that Jesus Christ came by water, but he did. How about coming by blood? I'll not turn you there. The time goes so fast. But you know about Matthew chapter 27? Do you know that from 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, darkness covered the earth? Do you know that right. from that place? Do you know that there was an earthquake? Yeah. Do you know that? Do you know that some of the saints came out of their graves and walked into Jerusalem? Right. Do you know that? That's pretty unusual, would you say? 
Was there a man there that was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? What was his title? Centurion. When he beheld all these things and Jesus' conduct on the cross, what did he say? Truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus came by blood. He manifested in his very crucifixion with the darkness and the earthquake and the graves being opened and the centurion's testimony, truly, this man was the Son of God. That's the victory that overcomes the earth. Jesus came, Jesus came, past tense, by water and by blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness. We've got three witnesses. The baptism of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the preaching of the gospel by the ministration of the Spirit of God that testifies the glorious message, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, And these three agree in one. It doesn't say these three are one. It says these three agree in one. And what do they agree with? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And how do they agree? What's the water now? It says there are three. Verse 6 was came. Jesus came by water. His baptism was passed. Jesus came by blood. His crucifixion was passed. But now there are, present tense, three things in earth that declare Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. The Spirit... Which, which blesses us through the preaching, through His Word, and through the truth that He reveals in our hearts. But there's two other things, water and blood. We have our own baptisms, don't we? And when we have those baptisms, what are they declaring to the whole world for the person that's going under those waters? In whose name do we baptize them? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What's the first question? When the eunuch said, What doth hinder me to be baptized? What did he have to answer? What did Philip say? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And, and he already knew what he needed to believe. What was that? Tell me. Help me. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Acts chapter 8. Don't be surprised that that verse is taken out because the world doesn't want a victory that overcomes them. The victory that overcomes them is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And a Spirit's been bearing witness to that, and so does the water of baptism. Every time we have a baptism, everyone should get excited. And I know that many of you do. Because you see in it a further testimony in this world. Like Brother Dave also said tonight, we're leaving a godly seed in the earth. And to baptize one of your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren is a great blessing. Comes by blood. There's blood in the earth and it agrees that Jesus is the Son of God. Anybody guess at what that might be? What... The Lord's Supper, next Sunday night. What will it show? Jesus is the Son of God. The Spirit bears witness through His Scriptures. The Spirit bears witness through the preaching of the Gospel by His ministers. The Spirit bears witness in our hearts. But we also have the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper in which we have a testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. And all three of those agree together perfectly. What's the focal point of the Lord's Supper? The Lord Jesus Christ. What's the focal point of baptism? The Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's a picture of Him. It's in His name. And the condition to get into it is believing on Him. It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. 
For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. This is the whole, you have the Holy Ghost inside you, right. witnessing it already. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And the record is, John the Baptist said, I saw and I bear record. This was the Son of God. This is the Son of God. And so did the centurions say the same thing. And brethren, if you believe that, you believe what the Spirit wants you to believe. And you believe what overcomes the world. Amen. That Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Amen. He'll not testify of himself. He'll testify of Jesus Christ. Right. The gift of the Holy Ghost to us is that blessing of his presence, the presence of God, and the presence of Christ within us that is based on our believing the gospel and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the first act of obedience for a child of God is to be baptized and to proclaim his name to the world that indeed Jesus was the Son of God. Right. And then that Spirit of God fills us with strength and peace and joy in believing Look at Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the New Testament blessing. Brethren, this all fits together with everything I've been preaching to you. Amen. We need to be holy. What's he called? The Holy Ghost. We need to be praying. Who prays with us? The Holy Ghost. We're to be praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18. This all goes together. This is, the, this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has come with his Father by His Spirit to dwell with us and to be in us. And I'll look at Ephesians chapter 3. I know I said I was going to close. Let's just say that this was a takeoff of 1 John 5. Let's say that. Ephesians chapter 3. We want to pray for the Holy Spirit. We want to crave the Holy Spirit. We want to avoid grieving the Holy Spirit. We want to avoid quenching the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to be a spring. Right. A spring is not something down in the ground. It's springing forth up out of the ground where you can get water easily. It was a great blessing in times past. It's a source of life. But for a child of God, I'm talking far more than carnal water. Right. I'm talking about the presence of God in our souls to give us the strength and joy and peace in believing. Amen. Notice how Paul would reference this. Ephesians 3.14, would you please read these words with me and may the Holy Spirit bless them to you as we close. Speaking of the great salvation accomplished by Jesus Christ, verse 11 told us it was the eternal purpose of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's how Paul would pray for us. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with all might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, 
being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And it told us in the 16th verse that we might be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul wanted that for the Ephesian saints. I want that for all of you, and I want that for me. And if we will all pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication, did anybody memorize that verse? For all saints, we can have that great blessing. We need to all be praying one for another and for ourselves and asking for that strengthening in the inner man that we might know the length, the height, the breadth, the depth of the love of God for us and be filled with all the fullness of God. You say, I'm not big enough. He'll get in there. The fullness of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.